Hi, it's Robin McMahon here. I'm the host of Parenting Our Future. And if you're listening to this podcast, I want to thank you so much for being here. I also want you to know that I'm a former angry mom. I used to yell and rage and threaten and punish my kids because I wasn't getting cooperation or the behavior that I felt I should be getting. And I struggled for many years, not knowing how to change or knowing what to do differently. It wasn't until I found the world of peaceful parenting that I learned why my kids acted the way they did and also why I was so angry and triggered. I was able to heal my anger and leave my triggers behind so that I could focus on being the calm and confident parent I always expected myself to be. I can tell you that feeling connected to your kids is the best feeling in the world. My two boys are teenagers now and we have a strong relationship that is rooted in deep connection. And where there is connection, there's cooperation. Parenting is the most important job we do but it's the hardest job we do. And we do it without understanding the fundamentals of the way our kids grow and develop. We do it without knowing the way their brains work or what their behavior is actually really telling us. So it's no wonder it's so hard. And it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to say, this is harder than I thought it would be. And that's where I come in. I can help you and I can support you so that you can have the cooperation and enjoy being a parent. You can book a free call with me on my website, parentingforconnection.com. And if you want to download my free guide, how to turn a no into cooperation, go to triggerfreeparents.com. Really hope you enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. It's Robin here. Welcome back to another episode of Parenting Our Future. You're going to love it. I don't want to brag. I don't want to like oversell this, but you're really going to love this episode, especially if you have daughters. And I'm going to tell you right now that I have already gotten a lot of value and I have boys. So, and by a lot of value, I mean, from my guest, Nellie Harden. She's so cool. You guys love her. You're just going to love her. Okay. So let me tell you about her first, as I always do. And then we're going to like get into the daughter stuff here. Um, so Nellie is a family life and leadership coach who focuses on helping parents eliminate power struggles with their daughters and help them grow into confident, wise, and respectful young women that are actually ready for the world. She's a wife and mom to four daughters, four daughters, and she's an author and a speaker and a podcaster. She also homeschools her kids and she loves to chase adventures. I love that. And likes long walks on the beach and sunsets and all that stuff. Just kidding. She has a degree in biology and psychology and a diverse behavior background from, get this, humpback whales in the South Pacific to teens and parents in homes across the world. She believes in a life of intentional of intention and making dreams and goals realities. She knows the best way to help the world is through one living room at a time. I love that. That's also my goal. Love it so much. Welcome, Nellie. Welcome. Thank you so much. It's awesome to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's so good to have you here. And I love what your mission is, is really to help girls grow into becoming leaders without having to chase their worth. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, You know, from my own experience of me growing up to raising four daughters to serving uh, girls out in the community and then uh, in my my local community and then the, the world around, 
I've done so many interviews with so many parents around the world. And this is really just a focus area is I just want my daughter to know how amazing she is. I want her to know her great potential. I want her to know how beautiful she is. I want her to know her worth and her esteem and grow in confidence. Right. Um, and they need to have that before they go out into the world. So like you said, they're not out there chasing worth. Yeah. And it really, it's, it's two-sided. It comes down to the way we parent them, the Mm -hmm. words we use to describe them and their behavior. And it also is work that they do too right? So there is us and the way we raise them. And then it's also them and how they see the world and, and, and their education of, uh, of themselves and what it is to be a woman and, uh, and a leader and all of that stuff. Absolutely. So in the, um, in the first half of childhood, that mm-hmm. is the, uh, build for you phase. So I call parents architects, family architects, because we are planning, designing and building the beginning of someone else's life, which is kind of a big deal. And, yeah. Yeah. um, <laughs> so kind of a big project. And so during the first half though, we are really giving them the sandbox, so to speak, right? Like if we even give them choices, which I highly encourage you to do is give your kids choices. Like, do you want this or this? Um, or do you want to go see this friend or this friend? Do you want to go see this movie or this movie, whatever that is. So they feel like they have input, right? But you're still the one supplying all the choices. So that's really a build for you phase. And then in the second half of childhood, after they've gone through this, what I call the great transition, um, in that, that middle age right there, there's middle age for kids too. So in that middle (laughs) age right there, um, then it's the build with them phase, right? You're coming alongside them. You're still the captain of the team, you know, so to speak, you're still the guide, still the trainer. This is adult life education in the second half of childhood, but instead of building for them, you are building with them. And that's where just like what you were saying right there, all of those different pieces start coming together of them building things um, and their ideas and their uh, beliefs and core values and things really start to come in. Ah, Love it. (laughs) I love it. I just gonna just take a second and take that all in because like, it's so good the way you said that I, and I completely agree. Like you do have to transition from really teaching your kids everything they need to know to like trusting that you've taught them. And now it's time for them to, I'm just saying it in a different way, but learn and grow, make mistakes and experience the world. And if we keep trying to teach them and hover and, and run our own agenda, then they will reject us and won't respect us. Won't want to talk to us. Won't trust us. Right. So there is a delicate balance there as they get older. There is. And I always call it, it's it, the great transition is a, is a mm. transition, right? Because there's three great ones. There's when they're born, that's obvious, right? You're going from, I don't have them. And now I have them, right? That's an obvious transition and it's big emotionally and physically in all the ways, but you, you know, the transition is happening. And then again, when they leave home at the end of you know, the 65, 70, as I call it, but, um, when they leave home, that's another obvious transition. They are there. And then they are not right there in the home all the time. 
but that this transition in the middle is sneaky and it can really creep up on parents a lot of times and they don't know that it's coming, but all of a sudden what you knew worked yesterday for how to approach a situation and how they, how that child needed to be disciplined or how that child needed to be encouraged. It's different today. And you're like, where did that happen? And I had the immense pleasure of actually you know, I, like you said, I have four daughters and my youngest daughter came downstairs, um, sometime over the summer. She, she was 12 at the time. And in the midst of one conversation, I saw a leap forward in this, in this, um, transition that we happened. And it wasn't a leap forward in maturity. I want to, I want to say that right there. It was a leap forward in, wow, everything is different. How I literally talked to her two hours ago is not going to work from this point on. And I see uh, that it was just a look and a feeling in the way that the conversation was going, that we were in it. Like we were in the transition. Wow. So how did you have to change? Well, it like was an example. I just, curious. yeah, absolutely. So it was a lot more just like, instead of to her, it was with her. Right. And it was a lot more sitting down. Um, we have what we call knee to knee conversations that sit down, crisscross applesauce, your knees are touching my knees. It's a lot less uh, space that your eyes can wander or that, you know, we are here eye to eye and I am here with you in this. And I know that you might not be happy with me right now. And I'm okay that you're not happy with me right now. And you might not like what I have to say, but we're going to talk about this because I love you and I care about you. And I want nothing but the best for you, mm -hmm. but I want to know what is your opinion? Where do you think that we should go from here? And how do you think that this needs to be resolved? And then we have back and forth instead of before that, I would have said, this is the way we are resolving this. Now it was a with you situation where we were walking now together through this conflict. Mm -hmm. And, um, so yeah, it was, it was. I, and I I've talked about, it, I've taught it and I've, I've seen it in general sense, but in that one conversation, I, it was just like, boom, like a door mm -hmm. just swinging. And I was like, okay, all right. We're wow. There. So it takes four kids to get to that point. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> I think my, I think it just was timing issue right there. I think I just happened totally to be joking. having a conversation yeah. about that, but yeah, yeah. It was no, funny. I'm totally kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So there's two things that you mentioned that I want to circle back to. One is that you just said, like, how big of a deal it is. Like, we are in charge of this person's life. And I just want to say, it is the most important job we do, everybody. Mm -hmm. Parenting is the most important job we do. And it is the one job we do without really understanding anything, <laughs> without really preparing for it. And I, you know, look, you have a degree in biology and psychology. How long did it take you to get those degrees? How much time did you spend? Now I know clearly you have spent time, but you know, the, a, a regular person, you know, a regular parent would have put no time compared to the time that they put into their careers. Right. And so I just want to say that, like, if you're struggling, it's okay. We've got you, Nellie and I, we've got you. If you need help and support, it's people like us that have been in the trenches who know what it's like, and we want to help you just had to say that just had mm, to say that. So good. Yes. Yeah. And then you mentioned 6570. Uh, and so you have a podcast called the 6570 family project. Nellie, 
tell us what 6570 <laughs> means, please. And I'm, I'm giving you the, the stink eye because I don't like it, <laughs> but I love it also. So tell me what it means. Well, it so the 6570, that's something that really came to me a, a long time ago. And that is how many days are in 18 years. So 6,570, which when you say it like that, I don't know for everyone listening, but for me, I was like, that is so short. That yeah. is so that's what I short. Mean. Yeah. Yes. And, but then at the same time at two o'clock on any random Tuesday, I'm like, this day is five days long. How is this, you know, going on? Um, yeah. but you know, kind of going back to what you just said there too, within the 6570, the point is not to be like, I only have this much time. I have to show up perfect every single day. And I need to have some big life lesson every single day. That is definitely not the point. The point when I brought this to our family, and then when I'm sharing it with others too, and it's called the 6570 family project, because we are architects, architects have projects, and this is our greatest project. And so, um, anyway, Mm when we are within that time, it's about just showing up with intention every day. Right. And you do not need to, in fact, I implore you not to try to be perfect because what we lead, they follow, right? What we lead them with, they follow. And if we, one of the biggest problems today, one of the four roadblocks of any esteem is perfectionism. And Mm. so if we're leading our lives and our parenting with, I got to be perfect, I got to do this. And if I don't, I, you know, I, I fail, right. And we look at failure as a bad thing instead of a step toward, um, success, then that's what they're going to learn too. And we don't want to pass our perfectionism onto them. We want to show them I'm messy too. I am a messy human and I am trying to figure this out. And you're trying to figure this out. Let's walk hand in hand and figure this out together, right? Mm -hmm. We are a team. It is you and I, no one has written the book on how to parent your child. Um, that that's what I get, you know, I get to do with people in the work that I do. I want you to write the book on how to parent your child because you are the expert on that child. No Mm -hmm. other parent is it's just you. And so really just coming together and accepting and and loving yourself for where you're at, the journey that you've been through, the journey that you guys have gone on together and coming alongside them and teaching them about this grand, big, beautiful, difficult world together. Mm. Oh, I love it. I love it. And I, I said it in jest, but yes, of course, it's like, wow, that isn't a lot of time. And, you know, it's really interesting. I was, uh, I've been working with a client of mine and, and I've worked with her for years and we're, we are, you know, her, her youngest son is, is 17. And so she's like kind of feeling frantic because he's almost 18 and I get it. I have a 17 year old too. Same. He's my oldest. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you have them of all ages, <laughs> <laughs> Just um, but you know, like, and and you do start to feel that, but like, it isn't the end. It isn't the end at all. Like, yes, right. they're an adult now, but you still have incredible influence over yes. your children and you can still be a figure of support and stability for them all throughout their life. And it's that transition that you have to respect that you are no longer invited in to make the decisions for them, tell them all the ways they're doing it right or wrong. And again, run your own agenda. You're there to bear witness to their pain, to listen to them, to support them when they ask you to, right? Yes. So 
for any, I'm a super visual person. And so for any of you visual people out there listening, uh, watching this, and I need to like make this cartoon of this uh, type of thing, but the way I really see it is uh, first half of childhood, consider you are a family that lives on the coast, right? Right on the beach and uh, on the seaside. And in the first half of childhood, you are out in the yard and you are building a boat. Okay. You're building a boat for your child and you're out there, you're hammering. It's hard. Sometimes it's really physically hard. It's emotionally hard. Sometimes it's frustrating. It's also super rewarding and beautiful. And you're out there doing that during the great transition. That's when the boat is finished. The boat is finished and you turn it over and the both of you walk it down to the water. Okay. And then you put it in the water, your child gets in the boat and there is a rope that you are holding on to that is 6,570 feet long. And you're holding on to half of it. Half of it's already behind you, or I'm sorry, half of it's already, you know, with them, but they go off into the boat and they are trial doing trials. They are testing They're They're seeing how they can hold up in storms. Um, they are learning all the controls. They're learning about themselves, how to trust mm. themselves, everything out there. And then sometimes you let more rope out. Sometimes you got to pull some in and, and give them a lesson. Right. And so, and then you let it back out again. And it's this dance, this, uh, you know, in and out dance of trust and truth within this second half of childhood. By the end of the 6570, the rope is all there and they go off into their great big life and you become the lighthouse. Mm. You become the lighthouse. The lighthouse. And- Nicely done. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. Like I said, I'm a visual person. So you become the lighthouse and it is where they can come back to and they get guided back to. And like you were saying, they, they need some help. They need some guidance. They need some, you know, have some specific questions. They are always welcome. They're always guided back there. And they're always, you know, that that's home. And, mm. um, so that's really kind of the visual of parenting and how this happens. And, you know, you, you let them go off into their own, you know, life later on, you become the lighthouse. Yeah. Wow. That's really beautiful. Well said, described, and I love it. That's really <laughs> great. Okay. So let's talk about raising boys versus girls. So mm-hmm. I've got two boys, you've got four girls let's just talk about the difference, um, between raising them. What do you have to know in order to raise girls? What word do I want to say? Right. (laughs) I don't want to say right. Um, but you like there's, there's subtle differences between boys and girls. And so what do you, what, what do you take into consideration when it comes to raising girls? Um, really, it comes down to a couple of things is the personality, social structure of girls. So that's one. It is the, um, brain development of girls and it is the hormones of young women, right? So those three things, so two physiological, one, so, uh, socio sociological (laughs) and, and psychological, a psychological there, but so really coming in there, raising girls, in as far as uh, community culture go, the society culture, right? It is it is very different. Um, there is a physical maturity that happens with girls that doesn't necessarily happen with boys, right? And so 
girls are then seen differently earlier than a boy yeah. is seen differently. <laughs> a boy just like goes on, goes on through and maybe like their junior, senior year of high school, they change and, uh, you know, form and things like that. But for girls, it's happening back in middle school, right? They're starting to develop. And then all of a sudden they are seen differently then. So that is a really big deal because that transition then affects how they feel about themselves, affects how people are treating them. Um, because it, if you develop early, people treat you in some way. If you develop late, people treat you in some way, right? And there's yeah. a lot of pressure around that. So there's that, not to mention uh, the whole idea of clicks and which are really just safety nets. But when you're in it, and you are not a part of that click or safety net, you feel very left out and you feel cast out. Right. And so there's that whole idea. And so just the entire idea of adolescence with young women in society is different, but then we get into also, um, brain development. So in a young woman's brain versus a young man, young men are, they have a lot more, um, uh, gray matter. And so they have uh, more of a, like a waffle brain, if you wanna think about it that way, where I think about it like boxes, like I'm gonna open this box and we're gonna think about that and then we're gonna close that box. And then we're gonna go to a different box and we're gonna open that one and we're gonna close that. Whereas young women have a lot more white matter, which is spread all throughout the brain. And so we tend to think of a lot of things all at the same time. And that can be very overwhelming. So men are better uh, at focusing on one singularity, right? Which can be behoove and not behoove them. Uh, whereas young women, again, to their benefit and detriment, they can think about a lot of things all at the same time. So that can be uh, overwhelming there. Not to mention also that their prefrontal cortex, which is where all of that reasoning and um, real critical thinking and decision-making happens, that is not developed yet. And so a lot of decision-making in teens in general is made from the amygdala, which is the like fight or flight area. And so their decisions are made out of haste. And when you have a young woman who's thinking about all these things at the same time, and the decisions are being made out of haste in a flight or flight, flight, fight or flight response, then you can get down a down, downward spiral really, really quickly mm -hmm. versus a young man. And so, um, yeah, so that's brain development, uh, wise, and then you have hormones and we all know young women are on a young men have hormones too. Don't get me wrong. And we, we all know that, but, uh, young women are on a cycle and it's like this yeah. all the time. <clears throat> and so I really recommend that young women track their cycle and it is a regular for the first in several, several years. Right. But at least it gives them an idea. And there's some great apps out there, um, mm -hmm. that track it. And they're like, so today your estrogen is super high. And so this is how you might be feeling. This is normal to feel that way. Um, you'll also get some that are like, uh, you know, this is where your hormones are probably at today. It's not a great day to make big life decisions today. Um, even if you want to, right. And so just understanding their bodies a little bit better so they can then be more productive in their day and understand, you know, what's going on within them. So mm -hmm. those okay. are three really big differences. 
That's, that's awesome uh, to break it down that way. I really like that. And, and I mean, we do have to recognize that teens don't have a fully grown brain. They are, you know, they're very emotional, like you said, hasty. Um, part of what goes on with them in those teen years is risk-taking, right? And and then they don't, but they don't have the ability to forecast consequences because that prefrontal cortex isn't done. So we, yes. you know, we all throw our hands up and say these teens, but we need to say, oh, these teens, like, mm -hmm. oh, okay, that makes sense, right? Yep. Um, because this is a very critical time in their life. Um, and, you know, I think teen girls get a bit of a bad reputation of being dramatic and being, you know, I don't know, just, I think dramatic is what I, is what I think of when I think of girls. And I hear my friends say that about their girls, their daughters. Yeah. And so is that true? You know, do they tend to be a bit higher emotion, higher emotionally? And is that because of the hormones? Is that because of the brain? Is it because of the social or yes to all? Yes to all 100%. Yes, definitely true. And one other thing about the brain that's different in a young woman, which can really wrap up into this dramatic um, uh, aspect that we see from them is that memory storage is, um, uh, yes, memory storage goes through the emotional center of a young woman. It does not for a young man. And so when your daughter comes home from school or something happened at school or work or whatever, um, at the dance, you know, whatever it is, and they are telling you about it, they literally relive every single emotion that went through their, their minds, uh, and bodies during that time. So it goes through your mind. Then you start getting the physio, the, the physical responses to those emotions too. Mm -hmm. And so they can go from, you know, Oh, everything's fine to a mess on the floor, even though they were just standing in the living room. Right. So yeah. a lot of panic attacks, uh, you know, can happen easier in young women than young men because of this, they are literally reliving all of the emotions that went into recalling this memory that happened. And so it, it really is different. So yes, young women are more dramatic. <laughs> okay. Well, that's, but that's great though. I love talking about the brain. I love it all because we, we know so much more about the brain now. We have newer, better studies. And so we can see this, right? And so I think that makes a lot of sense because I think it's sort of this sort of typical scenario. It's like, why are you crying? I don't know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> don't know why. And so that's hard and confusing. And I think, doesn't it take the weight off of your, your young daughter to say, Hey, you know what? That's just your brain. It's yeah. not your fault because then we tell ourselves a story about it. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. if we are really worried about well, perfectionism, which is rooted in fear, not sure. in empowerment, then we worry about what everybody else is thinking. We worry that we're not good enough. Right. And so it's so important to explain these things. Right. right? Absolutely. There's a, um, I have a workshop for parents called ignite her joy. And I teach a, a thinking tool, like a legitimate mm. concrete thinking tool that you can use to teach your daughters. And there's right. four filters in there because thinking is, you know, it's, it's difficult, especially when we have so many inputs coming in right now. And our kids have so many inputs from 
from, you know, what they're experiencing, their past experiences, what people are telling them, what they're getting off their phones and whatever. And so actually having a system to be able to think and make sure that your thoughts are putting you on an upward spiral instead of a downward is really, really imperative. But Mm -hmm. one of those filters has a series of questions. The first, the first filter does. And the first question in there is, is this actually true? Because yeah. of those stories that you're talking about, we have so many stories that we can tell ourselves. Brene Brown calls them the SFDs, right? And uh, Stormy First Drafts is the PG version way of saying that. And um, <laughs> yes. But yes, and so, but yes, we can tell ourselves that story. And you know, perfect example is when your your daughter walks into school and there's a huddle of girls uh, over in the corner, and they look over her way and then turn back around and start laughing. You know, that girl has like, oh, my, they think my clothes are terrible. They think that I am poor. They think I'm not good enough. They think I'm ugly, you know, and it starts rattling off where maybe those people were just looking at something past you, right? Or maybe they were looking at you and they're dealing with their own insecurities, Mm -hmm. right? And, and it's all about perspectives and really helping our young people look at different perspectives. Um, uh, because then they'll, they'll start to understand people a little bit better and start to take some of that pressure off themselves as well. Wow. I mean, to learn the thinking errors that we have, cause we all have them, right? Like catastrophizing is the thinking error. Yes. And we don't realize that like, sometimes what I'm thinking isn't right. And it's not the truth. It's not a fact. And to actually learn that in your teen years, like, whoa, how cool is that, that you, you know, that we can teach our kids that and not have to spend so much, so many years in pain. And I think that's really what you're after here with the work that you're doing is like, these girls can grow and thrive and not feel like they aren't good enough. And I'll tell you from, from, you know, I work with just parents. I don't work with the kids. And I can tell you in the work that I do, when we go back to their childhood and we go back to the messages that they received, you know, when you boil it all down, it all comes down to, well, I'm just not good enough. You know, Mm -hmm. I didn't matter my words, my thoughts, my ideas just didn't matter. They didn't want to hear it. And that's devastating because you carry that on in life. And then your kids trigger you oftentimes because you don't feel valued. You don't feel heard. Your words, your thoughts, your ideas don't seem to matter to your kids, but your kids are just being kids, right? So this is a whole cycle that really impacts our entire life. So thank you for doing that work. Yeah. Thank you. And yes. And same, I working with these families, when we, uh, I have a parent track and I have a daughter track. And when we're working with the parent track, like you do, there's, there's so many core beliefs that parents bring into parenting that they don't realize are hanging off their backs. And so really getting into that work, which I, I do in the beginning, and it sounds like you do too, is so important because, it, some of that you just need to let go of, but how, especially if you don't know that it's even there and it really yeah. takes some in-depth work to get there. But then also the, the brighter side of that is like, okay, so here's some core beliefs. We want to cut the strings on. Here's some that we want to carry with us. Cause these are super cool and great. Right. And yeah. then let's pick up some new ones, um, that are, we want to bring into our parenting. Cause there's always going to be one or two that you're like, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't get that as a kid. Mm-hmm. but I really want my kids to have that. So how can I put this into practice in my home? Mm. Oh, it's so good. So good. I love it. I love it so much. So 
Let's talk about what you have given us for the toolbox. So the parent toolbox is parent-toolbox.com and you can go there and there are like literally way over a hundred different tools from my brilliant guests like Nellie Hardin and also some from me and, uh, and, and some other experts in, in their areas. And so you've got this, um, this guide on becoming the judge, how to teach your child to have good judgment in a judgment-free culture. And so what you're, so what you're talking about is how to have good judgment and also not be judgmental. Is that right? right. Yeah, yes, exactly. Okay. So, um, so can you tell me just a little bit about it? I've got it in front of me and I've already highlighted some things in here, like really just breaking down what uh, a judge's judging judgmental, uh, and judgment is right. And all of those different words. So yeah. Yeah. Walk, walk me through it. Well, I, I want to say too, this really came to me because I was working out in the community one night and, uh, I was sitting with probably, I don't know, like 12, um, uh, young women between 12 and 18 and they were sitting there and, uh, telling some stories, but they would always start with, I'm going to say this, but don't judge me. Don't judge me. Right. And then <laughs> they would yeah. say something and then someone would you know, give a look or say something or even try to be helpful. And it was like, no, you're judging me. And then we would have a talk about good judgment. And then you had a kid that was like just coming from traffic court to see the judge. And then it was like all these things. And these girls are like, I don't even know. So because don't judge me, that catchphrase has been then taken to mean I can get away with anything and you can't think anything about it. Right. Yeah. And instead of helping one another be accountable to what their values are. Right. And so that's really what that, that is all about is, and crew, um, the daughter track that I do is all about being able to thrive together as a community of young women, because Mm -hmm. so often you have young women that are judging one another, right? And they're stuck in this um, better than, less than uh, perfectionism, comparison, and all of this, instead of helping one another and rising up, right? All the ships rise, add the water, all the ships rise. Mm -hmm. And then being able to use one another's strengths in order to go out in the world and and use their their values and talents and gifts Mm -hmm. to do whatever they're uniquely inclined to do. Um, So that's what that is is all about right there. It is about helping one another and not being judgmental, right? Not being a judge, but having good judgment within ourselves and helping one another be accountable by encouraging, right? Crew stands for uh, courageous, um, uh, real encouraging women. And I like to call it because that, that program is for like 13 to 18 year olds. And I've, I've had someone ask me before, well, why isn't it young women or girls or whatever? And it's because they're in adult training at that point. Right. I want them to know at 13 that they are, they're a woman, they're a young woman, and this is what they're going toward. And so I don't want to just put them in this girl, you know, uh, bucket right here. I want them to know that they're a beautiful young woman and that they can work together with those people, um, that they see in the hallway and they think gave them a look or what have you. I think this has the potential to change the entire world. I think it is so powerful because you get a bunch of women working together, truly 
without perfectionism, without being in competition and judging each other, there is no stopping us. Yes. Right. So I love this work so much. I really love it. So thank you for this. There's one last question I have to ask you. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and, and by the way, I'll just go back, go to the parent toolbox, please. You've got to get this. This is so great. And this isn't just for girls. I mean, it is for girls, but like to explain to your, to your child, like step number four is accept that there are always at least three stories happening. Yours, theirs, and the facts without emotions. Like that is so great. Anyway, just that piece of wisdom is it's really life-changing because there are so many adults walking around that don't know that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so the, the one thing that I want to bring up is in today's day and age, we are dealing with a lot of mental illness, anxiety, um, just mental unwellness. And yeah. how do you do this work? How do you help your child if there is mental illness, if they, if they do have an anxiety disorder, um, yeah. How do you, how do you do that? Is it, is it the same? Is it different? Is it possible? It's definitely possible. Definitely possible. In fact, um, I would say the work that I do, uh, in is usually about 50, 50, um, 50% of people I am working on, um, building mental wellness so that we don't necessarily have to, or the severity of what it could have been, um, later on or possibility of it, uh, of mental illness, uh, happen later. And then the other half is we are in mental illness. How can we help to get Mm -hmm. it out of this? Mm -hmm. Okay. So when you think about why people are usually going through anxiety, mental, uh, illness, um, uh, depression and things like that. Yes, there are definitely some chemical imbalances that can happen in the brain. And I am not a, um, you know, um, uh, psychiatrist. Thank you. Psychiatrist. And I am not a psychiatrist and I'm not going to give you any meds for that. You can go to a psychiatrist for, you know, those type of things. Some some kids need it. Some kids. Oh yes. Yes, absolutely. But so many times when people go into therapy at any age, it's because their core needs are not being met. So Mm -hmm. when I talked about that, um, uh, I call it the success uh, pyramid of parenting. So in that first half of childhood, you're really dealing with, you know, physiological and safety and really getting like the resources taken care of, like a building for you. This is, this is your, this is your home. This is where you're safe. Right. Um, second half of childhood though, we are, and it's, it's not like check the box. We're good. Right. You have to keep helping them feel safe and, and, um, uh, throughout their entire lives. But in the second half of childhood, it's all about worthiness, esteem, and confidence. So worthiness is those needs being met. It is the layer that comes during that second, um, that great transition I was talking about and the five needs that every single person on this uh, planet needs. And during the teen and tween years, these are like live wires on the ground are to be heard and seen and loved and belong and have a purpose. So those five needs right there, if you go back and you poll people and talk to them about, you know, why, why they needed therapies, why they really needed someone, why they were going through depression, it usually stems back to one or more of those needs. I Mm -hmm. felt like I didn't have a purpose. Mm -hmm. I felt like I was invisible. I felt like I wasn't loved. I felt like I didn't belong anywhere, right? These type Mm -hmm. of things. And so really working with families to fill these five needs for their kids so that 
And I'm not saying that they only get filled at home and they don't need anywhere else. That's the point. We need to lead so they know how uh, to fill these needs so that when they're going off into the world and they know, and this is a lot of work I do in crew and M2M, but uh, they know, oh, I'm feeling crummy right now, but I know it's because my need to belong is not being met. And I've already done this work and I know what fills that need for me. So I'm going to go and do those things that I already know fill that need of belonging for me. Mm. And so being able to name it is huge. Yes, yes, exactly. Instead of this big cloud, like hurricane size cloud of, of nastiness, you're like, wait a second, this is a pinpointed need that I have. And I already know what, uh, like what it takes to fill this need for me personally, because it's different for every person, what it takes for me to fill this need personally. And what I also love to do is how can you fill this need for other people? Because that's when we get into this collaboration, we're working together, we're rising the ships. So what, what does it look like for this need of belonging to be filled for you? And they go around and they talk and the family talks together too, and all these things. And then also how can you fill this need of belonging for your sister, for your parents, for your friend, for your soccer team, right? Everybody has this need. And like I said, that with that prefrontal cortex being under construction, uh, I just get, you know, I, I give the, the visual of live wires. And so, uh, I always think of back to the future, right? I'm such a, like an old movie person. Uh, but yeah, there's like sparks everywhere and it's all going. And so they're like, I need to be loved. I need to be loved. I need to belong somewhere. And that need is so big and electric and sparking in them. And then if they don't feel that right at that moment, they start going down this path, veering to the left and either saying, I don't need to be left. I don't need to belong anywhere. So I'm going to go and isolate myself. And, and that leads to, you know, so many things, or I'm going to go find somewhere, something that is going to feed my worth, even if it's not the best path for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, and it's hard as, as a parent, because, you know, even when you mentioned love, like I need to be loved, but don't touch me. Oh Mom. yeah. Right. Like guys, like, oh, 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 I love you. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. So that's, yeah, it's, 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 I just think it's kind of fun and funny and like, yeah, it, it, it hurts. Like parenting is going to break your heart. You know, oh, yeah. I mean, Hands that down. the big transition as you're calling it, I mean, I'm like, oh, but you, you used to hug me yesterday and now I can't even go near you. Like, don't touch me. I'm like, oh, you know, yeah. and I'm such a touchy feely person. Anyway, that's not about me. But, about me. I'm a touchy feely too, but, but don't judge that, me. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. I'm kidding. <laughs> but that's a good point. So asking them, because your idea of how you feel loved is ah. to get a hug or whatever. And, but okay. So I know that I want you to know that I love you. How does that look for you? How can I make sure that you know that you're loved and have them answer that for you? Yeah. And let me just flip it on the listeners. How many of you felt in your teen years, in these critical years that you were heard, seen, loved, that you belonged and that you had a purpose? How many of you felt that way? And if you didn't feel that way, isn't this a beautiful gift and opportunity to give this to your daughters, to give this to your sons too, mm-hmm. to give Absolutely. this to your child? Whoa, I can only imagine what it would have been like and how I would have been different to have been seen and heard. 
I knew I was loved. I pretty much thought I belonged. Did I have a purpose? I don't know. I don't know if I had one, but to, to be seen and heard. Uh, and that's followed me into my life now. Like, I just want to be heard, you know, and that's not why I have a podcast, by the way, but <laughs> you know, like, you know, in my relationships, in my life, like I want to be heard. And both my husband and I have had those same experiences growing up. And so we sometimes battle, like, no, I want to be heard. No, I want to be heard. Right. We can name it more now, but it does carry through your life. And so let's have a generation of, of adults that don't have that baggage. Like, yeah, that would be incredible to me. And again, I think it would change the world. It's so important. And I love meeting people like you, Nellie, who, who are doing this work too. And it makes a difference. That's why I call this podcast parenting our future, because this is all about the future, that world that we're going to have our kids today are the leaders of tomorrow. So let's make sure we're doing the best we can. And our kids have needs and they're not spoiled. They're not demanding. They're not entitled for needing to have them met. I had a comment on my, on my Facebook page uh, the other day, somebody saying, well, I don't see why we have to give our kids what they want just because they want it. And I was like, whoa, like, why not? Our kids have needs. Like, I'm not saying go get them an ice cream cone and, and drive through. I'm not saying go get them a new pair of shoes. I'm saying like, sit and hear them. Right. validate them, give them empathy, you know, seek to understand what they're going through and help them work it out. That's all we're saying. We're not right. saying go give them whatever. We're not saying there aren't rules, there aren't boundaries, that there aren't expectations that, you know, you don't get to just tell me to screw off if you don't like what I say. Like there are, that's not, that's not what this is. This is, this is about honoring who they truly are and giving them the best possible start because that's all we ever wanted to. When you think back to having that baby and all the dreams that you had was you rubbed your tummy and you thought, okay, like I am going to, this is what this life is going to be like with this baby. And it somewhere along the line evaporates because our ego gets in the way, right. Or our stuff gets in the way and it doesn't have to be like that. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and thank you. Yeah. Oh. Uh, no, no, go ahead. <laughs> if you, leave us on one final note, because everything you've said has been so great. Oh, I no, well, thank you. But I would, I would just say that it's not too late, right? Oh, I love it. It doesn't matter if the last week, month, or four years have been difficult. Yeah. You can show up at their door right now and say, you know what? I know the last week, month, four years, whatever has been difficult, but I want to make sure absolute sure that, you know, that you are loved and I mm -hmm. hear you and I see you and I might not have been doing great at that, but I'm, I'm going to do better. And I want you to help me do better. And do you think we could do this together? I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. And by the way, you may have to have that question or that conversation more than once. Let me also say everything, the antidote to so much of this is the connection that you have with your kids. Connection mm -hmm. is everything. And that starts at day one. Right. And like you said, it's never too late. So I love that too. So, oh my gosh, Nelly Hardin, you are amazing. You can find Nelly at NellieHardin.com. Her podcast uh, is the three, or sorry, the 6570 project. And she's just everywhere. And you've got to follow her. You've got to know her. You've got to see the work that she's doing and understand that this is the best work, the most important work, and it's fun and it feels good. Like, let's not forget this is something that feels so good. Feeling connected to your children is the best 
feeling in the world, period. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Nellie. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this edition of my podcast, Parenting Our Future. I'm parent coach Robin McMahon. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with someone who you think might also need to hear this message. And don't forget to subscribe. And if you like my work, I'd be grateful if you gave me a five-star rating. For those of you who like my content and want more, visit me at yellingcurebook.com to get your copy of my book and to find other resources to help you. Until next time, I am wishing you and your family peace and connection.